Hey, I'm Dina. I'm Nikki. And we're your hosts for CBD Madcast. CBD Madcast is devoted to the legalization of cannabis and its impact in your community. Visit us at CannabisBeyondDope.com. First lady smoke sesh. We have four of us today. I'm very excited. We have Kate, myself, Dina, Nikki, and Lauren. And we're doing our first lady smoke sesh in area 253 glass blowing. Very cool space on Holgate. We're grateful that they are putting on the party for SPR and that SPR and 253s are sponsoring us. So thank you very much. We're already laughing and having a good time. So I wanted to get the recording going and I always forget to introduce us to like midway. So I figured this way I'll jump in, get an intro in real quick yeah. and then say, hey, how is everybody? How are you doing today, Kate? I'm doing well. You're going to a party afterwards. You look very festive and nice. Thank you. Thanks thank for you. coming. I wish y'all could see my fish nuts. Yeah, right. And we thank you for coming early and we say on, on air, I'm so, so sorry. It was a huge bit of a kerfuffle to get this together because of the holidays and waiting for people to reply and then finally getting it. And I thought I had everybody and I didn't and completely my fault. So my deepest apologies and I owe you. So you can hold that for later. I owe. I owe Kate. A favor, a favor. Yes. So put that on the books. It is on record and it will be going live. So that'll be actually on our podcast SoundCloud account and on YouTube. So I'll have to, I'll have to do it. <laughs> I'm going to have to own up. Nikki, can I say the celebratory option we have outside of our event today? Or can I cut it out? Okay. Oh, happy birthday. We're so excited. It's your birthday. We didn't know. So yay. What a great day to get to do it on. And Lauren, last but definitely not least, how are you doing today? You look I'm doing fantastic. Good. Thank you. Yeah, we both had to leave our pups at home. So oh. it's a little sad for us since we yeah. like our They weren't fine. Yeah, for a while. Until the glass blowing oh, thing went like on. something hot. Yeah. Oh. And then the no open-toed shoes. So I'm like, I'll be standing in the back. I don't own any non-open-toed shoes. <laughs> yeah, we're here with our First Lady Smoke Sesh to chat and interview Kate and Lauren. And let's get their, their take on the cannabis industry and what we got going on out here. Let's f- start off with what you all do or have done in the cannabis industry now and at the beginning of your, your career in, in this fun cannabis world. Kate? Officially in the legal sense, I've been in the industry since September. I work for uh, Candisol Farms. It's an organic, sustainable, sun-grown farm out in Okanagan. I'm their South Puget Sound retail liaison, sales rep, whatever you want to call it. Unofficially, I've been in the industry since I was about 18. My dad was a grower on the low, and I remember getting... I managed to get out of the, the war on drugs with the less than a felony. There you go. But, yeah. Can you tell us when 18 was? 1996. Okay. Wow. Oh, I did math fast. Oh, nice. Senior year in high school. That's all, I, that's, all, yeah. that's, that's all correlated right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the graduation year then. Yeah, yeah. totally. Mm-hmm. I bought a pound of pot in a grocery store parking lot in my station wagon at night in Lakewood by myself with a baseball bat. I can't remember how much I paid for that pound of pot, but it did last me all summer long, nickel and dime bagging at festivals, and I was a camp counselor all summer, so overnight camp, all my camper fellows, my associates, fellow counselors were always hitting me up for weed, so it just kind of lived in my car. (laughs) Run to the wagon. Nice. Nice. It would have been good to know you then. (laughs) I was like the best. (laughs) 
And yeah. I didn't smoke a lot of weed, so like I was always on top of things. It wasn't like I'm gonna make you a come hang out with me and <gasps> smoke your weed with me. Right. Just gonna yeah. come, we're gonna meet somewhere real quick on your way to here and there. You're not gonna wait 20 minutes, and we're just gonna do this. That was such an 80s thing, though, to to make somebody come over and smoke what you just bought with the person you just bought it from. It, that was such an 80s thing to do. Still, mm-hmm. still. I'm always like, I was always like, my friend has a grow up in their house. I come over to the house. I want to pick up some weed. I don't want to sit down and hang out. I want to go do the things I want to do when I'm high on the weed. Totally. And why do I have to smoke you out? I just, I'm a consistent customer. Where's my bonus? It's so funny. I just said the other day uh, to a customer who came in to Emerald Leaves, there was a time when I didn't want to hang out with my dealer. Right? Yeah. And the dealer didn't want to hang out with the people that they that they talk to. And that's still mostly the case, but I think more like like if you work at a pot shop, like most people want to hang out with you. Yeah. yeah. It definitely is come so, full circle. You know, it's kinda of, but like, I don't wanna hang out with everybody. No. I, I do so. have to say that the people who we can work in retail stores are a lot more attractive than my pot dealer. <laughs> It's what happens when you shed the light, right? Yeah. Well, when you actually wear pants instead of sweatpants, (laughs) too. I wear sweatpants to work three days a week. (laughs) Yeah, but you're okay because you have a super tall counter that nobody can see behind. Lauren, why don't you tell us about uh, your journey in the cannabis industry so far? Um, So I got into the industry. I decided to leave retail. I was a Zoomy store manager for a couple years and decided that the clothing industry was on its way out and I mean weed was very similar of an industry but enough of a change for me and it's booming and it's not a dying industry yeah. not to put it harshly but I mean malls are dying yeah I don't want to work are... in a mall the rest of my life so I worked at a pot shop for about a year and I'm not there any longer. I'm doing more freelance right now. So really just looking for whatever opportunity comes up. And there's been a few. There's a magazine that's about to open in Maryland that is also out here. And I might be doing some writing for them because Maryland is where I'm from. And they just made a weed medical. So that's really interesting. And to watch them go through all the baby steps of hey, THC percentage is what we're shooting for. Yep. Yeah, so that'll be fun. Being in a, in the bud tender role ended up being way too similar to retail for me, but it is nice. You don't have to sit down with me and smoke with me, right? I'm yeah. just, it's a interaction. It's a- I would I say a symbiotic relationship. And, and, and yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, all right, and next, next up, it's not, yeah. You don't have to worry. I think the difference between like clothing retail and cannabis retail is people are coming in to a cannabis store and they know what they want. For the most part. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you got all the looky-loos in retail where it's like, is that a sale or are they going to steal from me? Uh Uh-huh. Is is that a possible sale? How many times a day do I have to say, can I help you find something? Or whatever that is. For cannabis, like people are just coming in and looking for you and your knowledge. A lot of people want some. Not the whole diatribe, but like... Then you get that one person you can talk to for 15, 20 minutes because mm-hmm. they really want you to drop some knowledge on them. Yeah. You totally. know, and you've got access to all these different things that yeah. the consumer doesn't have access. You, know, you get to touch stuff, yeah. try stuff, smoke stuff, take it out of the bags every once in a while, you know? Mm-hmm. The, the really cool part of being a tender <laughs> were like the customer interactions, though. Like maybe the structure was really similar to retail, but the customer interactions were very much like, I really think that this is gonna work for you. It's anywhere from your local guy that hangs out on the corner coming in every day for a $2 joint. You're like, hey, Sister LT, like, how are you? <laughs> like, 
cousin Dion, I think I called him, <laughs> to the grandmas that need a topical and the tourists that are coming and they haven't even been to a pot shop before. Yeah. So, yeah, the customers were a lot more fun, I think, than clothing retail. And, and they also needed a different education, too. I mean, isn't a lot of the conversation really medical support? It's really getting a chance to give them aid in something that causes them a malady of discomfort. And it's difficult for us to be able to have that conversation, but that's really the conversation you have all the time. Whether it's somebody who just wants to have a better evening after work, or somebody who's got some crippling something happening to their system. Like LT just said, you know, they're coming in for your expertise. And in retail, it's very rare that that's the case. You know, if you work at REI, that might be yeah. that might be the case. Zoomies, not so much though. You know, Sometimes like you got you got some no. snowboarders that are like extreme. Sports I know that way more about, know about the pants than you but, do, but yeah. <laughs> but that is one in ten. Whereas in the mm. cannabis industry, I mean, it's about half. I would say that whether they know what they want or not they're interested in your opinion or as we kind of say like a lot of times people they want to smoke what you tell them to smoke but yeah. in retail I think it's in retail clothing it's less like people want to buy what you tell them to buy you know like fashion is a little bit different yeah so. and, the, and you really have to gain people's trust like there's there's really specific ways to gain like a customer's trust and that's just treating them like a human being really but you have to spend a lot of time in clothing doing that and in cannabis it's like well you smoked it they probably gave it to you for free right like <laughs> what do you think and yeah you're right they they want to smoke what you're smoking yeah what i think is interesting though is when you go to clothes and you go high 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 end you get a personal shopper to go to cannabis everybody's your personal shopper who's yeah. at the yeah. counter yeah. and then i think what's going to start to become the situation is there's going to be a general knowledge it's going to be more common and then we're gonna have personal shoppers. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see if the law helps with that as well. Yeah. I'm not sure what your average customer is in retail, but I know that your interaction is considered like a consultation, mm -hmm. like a five minute consultation. Everybody's gonna pick a little bit of something from what you have to say. What I'm curious about as a bud tender yourself is did you ever feel like you had to prove yourself as a woman? And because you're a woman, you had to prove your knowledge more than somebody else like did you ever feel discounted because you're just a girl yeah I think a lot of it was I mean when you're brand new all of the locals give you trouble you know and then eventually they they start to know once I gained my place in that shop after a few months it was better but no the guys just come in to look at you yeah I worked in white center so oh, fun. they don't want to hear that like I had a guy really specifically get very angry with me because we were having a time and then I tried to pitch him something that wasn't high THC percentage that was a little bit more money but I knew it would get him really high and he was he got really mad and almost like slammed the product away from me and yeah it's I think it, it's a very interesting industry to be in as a woman because you're right I, I think we do have to do more legwork to really gain the respect and become more than just oh look at her butt when she turns around to get the that, that weed gram for you, mm -hmm. you know? well and is that also something that has to do with the environment you're in the location and, and falls really towards the demographic because when I was in Auburn I didn't suffer that that much people gravitated in the Auburn market to who could give them the similar strains that they were looking for. Totally. And that's a double-edged sword because I think like there are definitely retail structures where you have to help every person. And I think maybe I misunderstood 
how you said that, but like as a bartender, you can't not help somebody because you've worked with them before oh, and no, it hasn't I, been a great experience. I you had know? that rule. Or, Actually, there were quite a few customers I would not work with. Yeah. And I told all of my girl bartenders, I mean, the guys as well. Yeah. But specifically, you know, I told the women, if there is a guy that's giving you an issue, don't, you, you go into the back. I don't care if we have a line out the door, like step into the back and let me know. I don't want to work with this guy. Yeah. Because there's people that made me feel just to that point, like I can't. And yeah, yeah. I, I, it's just our right as women, I think, to be, no, I'm not. Yeah. You want to make those comments every single time? Yeah. I'm not selling you pot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There, There is a line. I sure did get lucky then because I did not have to deal with that at all. And I'm sorry to you that you did because that's terrible. It's rough. Yeah. We have a similar, we have a similar role like that too. But do you suffer that as, as an average customer, like a, a something? I don't anymore, but I have learned quickly, especially given my position, how to dominate a conversation with somebody, you know, like I will come out yeah. and if, if somebody is being rude, if a man is being rude to one of my female bud tenders or male bud tenders, like I don't have a problem stepping in and either asking them to leave or, mm-hmm. you know, asking them what the problem is and kind of de-escalate. That's my position. What I was going to say earlier is it's double-edged sword because you gain respect from people by being on the other side of the counter. Like mm-hmm. the placement, especially as a woman, being on the butt tending side of the counter, like you are immediately elevated. And there's people that immediately want to tear you down for that reason and be like, nah, like I'm, I don't respect you just because you're a woman or they, you know, you teach them like, no, you will respect me because I know what the hell I'm talking about over yeah. here. And that's usually what it takes. Like if you get a chance to, finish a transaction with somebody who is being rude to you and they end up loving the weed that you just got them, you don't have to deal with it anymore because they respect your opinion and know that you know what you're talking about. But unfortunately, with cannabis, as we know, not everybody smokes the same too. So you're Mm going to have people that you just like, everything you recommend, they hate because that's just the spec, you know, that's where they fall on on their flavor profile. And you will either learn that or you'll stop helping each other. Yeah. So. And I, I think have that's my favorite crucial. butt tenders. I have my favorite butt tenders. So I'll, yeah, I'll you wait, wait for that. You yeah. wait for I want to talk to, I want to, talk to I Allegra. I love when yeah. people do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially as a manager, I love seeing that for my butt tenders too. Yeah. Because I would see people like all the time gravitate to um, like just their specific butt tenders. Yeah. 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 And totally. it's gaining that trust. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's when the product matches because, you know, it's the same when you, when I did dog training, it was the same thing. I would go into somebody's house just because I had the skills and I'd get their dog to do something within five minutes they could never get their dog to do. I could sell them anything. Now, of course, the responsibility of that is important. You can't then just shove things into people. You have to be respectful that you give them the right things and it's beneficial for everybody, but you can definitely capture people to become favorites and, and partners mm-hmm. in all of these situations when you give them something they in, enjoy. Mm-hmm. It's really just that simple. Yeah. And I think just to come full circle, like sometimes those are the relationships where you then become the person who has to hide in the back because, you know, that person takes 45 minutes every time they're there. <laughs> every, time. every time they're there, they're like, 
so when are we gonna go out to dinner or whatever? Because we're so much alike, you know, and you're just like, oh, I really wanna hang out with you all the time. But I keep saying since no. Since you said no, I'm just gonna hang out right here in your window for 45 minutes. <laughs> and ask you all the questions about all the weed things that I asked you last time, but in a different order so you don't notice. The time in your company. <laughs> so out of that, real quick, have you run into anybody, Lauren, that you knew as uh, that relationship outside of the store? Oh, yeah, I lived in White Center and worked in White Center. Okay. So I could point out everybody in the community that smoked weed. Oh, okay. Yeah, see, I didn't really have that same connection, so yeah. it worked out pretty good. I didn't run into I mean, even anybody. down to, like, Safeway going in and buying some meat and the guy behind the deli counter, like, kind of smirks at me and says his boss is talking to me. Him and his boss are both my customers. And his boss is talking to me about how he shops with me. And the other kid's just like smirking and his boss looks over at him and is like, you too? Like, <laughs> Funny. It's legal now. We yeah. don't have to hide. Right. You no, don't I mean, want to be the one who outs anybody, but at the, you know, you're like, please, right. you can talk to me about it. Well, that's the exactly. perfect next question for me. How is it that you guys feel about actually being prolific about being a cannabis smoker and participant? Okay. Uh, I've never hid my love for cannabis. I've never worked in an industry that didn't support my love for cannabis. Um, I'm a massage therapist, I'm a seamstress, I'm a bartender, and have been for 25 years. Uh, all of those things really, really like encourage cannabis. <laughs> I long, long ago, like when I was working in the retail world, like one of the companies I was working for in order to get insurance, they were like, you're gonna have to take a urinalysis test. And I was like, you what? You wanna take my pee? That's so <laughs> gross. <laughs> and they make you put it together. Dare in the jar. you ask me for my bodily fluids? That's just wrong. It's totally against my religion. <laughs> like, what? I was like, it's against my religion. What are you? I'm a pagan. No one gets my bodily fluids. And I just totally lied. Yeah. And they were like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. I love that. I think that's the only time where I was just wasn't open about it because I was like, ah, oh, it's insurance. Oh, I claim a religion. I'll get out. In, right. But I am, I've always been an advocate for cannabis. That was Sammy. Um, <laughs> if somebody ever complains about anything, I'm like, you should try pot. Oh, it would you be should. so nice for a lot of people I know to start getting Calm on at least, down. at least some CBD drops. <laughs> exactly. Just to settle that inflamed behavior everybody's in. Uh -huh. Totally, yeah. Coming from Maryland, I mean, how, how has the cannabis-friendly lifestyle impacted you and your growth in the last couple years? Well, I don't have to worry about going to jail. Yeah. That's every time I go home, even this last time I got pulled over and I had dabs and I had cartridges and I had edibles and he looked through my car and he let me go in Pennsylvania. And he didn't know what any of it was, I guess. It's freeing to be able to drive with it and be like, this is something that I can have instead of alcohol. Because mm -hmm. I'm seven years sober now. I moved. Thank you. Congratulations. I appreciate it. Cannabis wasn't a part of my sobriety in the beginning, but I just started smoking, I'd say three, four years ago. And I mean, I've been smoking my whole life, but growing up, it was always looked down upon. Grew up in a Christian household. And so that was just something, all right, it's illegal, it's bad. And it's a drug, it's bad. Yeah. And coming out here, all of a sudden, I look around and there's pot shops. I'm like, I could just go smoke pot. I'm, I think my first dealer out here, actually, he like had me open my hands and he was like, <laughs> I gave him 10 bucks and he filled my hands full of weed. <laughs> It was just like my friend's, my friend's friend that worked at Amazon. I was like, this is wonderful. Your hands were so fertile. Yeah, this is great. 
this magical Washington place. Yeah. yeah. Um, my family is still uh, very, uh, they think I'm addicted to weed. They think I've switched my addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that hurts, you know, because mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I don't believe that. I mean, I, I smoke a lot of weed, but if I don't have weed, then I'm still Lauren. And if I do have weed and I am high, then I'm still Lauren. Um, and alcohol was very different than that. So the stigma is still there, but I think especially with them being medical right now, mm-hmm. and then most likely recreational to follow, I think that'll start turning a lot of those stigmas and doing what I can with my family to turn those stigmas. But Definitely. Yeah. Medical marijuana is like the first step to, well, drugs are bad, but weed might not be so bad. And we had like, I mean, a 20... 20 year advantage on this side of the You're right about that. And that's something that I I think, you know, when I think of new legal states making laws, I think of course they consider the laws that have been made in the past. Like they're looking at what we can't assume that. Well yeah, like that's that's where I'm going is that you can't assume that. You're so right. But it is also a part of the process that we do have a lot of a lot of people looking at what's already been done. I mean, Washington looked at Colorado. Colorado mm-hmm. didn't have anybody to look at, but like you said, the previous medical of California. And then California's actually looking to us now while they've gone legal. So everybody who is before, there's, there's the money comes from where the next place is to the place that just did it right. On this side. Like yeah. You think of how far over that is. And, and how long the, it takes even fashion to travel from. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's my point. Music, frankly, uh-huh. from Seattle to the East Coast. You I know, mean, it takes like a long six time. months. Well, to and the one some... video I can find on the Maryland, or like the one video I watched, anyways, on the Maryland medical marijuana industry was one of these like really nice, really cool looking. I mean, it looked like Have a Heart. It looked like any re- retail shop, but it was a medical shop. And the guy doing the interview was like, so you know we're all about that gas. We need those high THC percentage. And it's like they don't even get the entourage effect yet. Not even close. But we didn't get out of the THC game for almost a year and a half either. So I think it's taken, or two years. I mean, it's I mean, taken forever. 15 years. For yeah. Well, I mean, in the retail level. Like, for 15 for sure, because nobody knew anything but that. But I'm talking about just these last two. Because even the last six months, the turp situation's gone out of control. And now mm-hmm. nobody cares about a genus mm-hmm. of sativa or indica or ruderalis. Mm-hmm. Now it's about what turps affect your body in what way. Yeah. Now, Kate, you have, uh, real quick, I want to ask you, you've got uh, first-hand knowledge with uh, Canisol, and owner Jeremy, we just were out there in October and got to do a tour, it's amazing, and we had a great interview, And uh, but we learned an incredible amount of information about the sustainable process and about uh, sun deprivation and different ways where it's starting to get more to the truth of what should be the base of growing cannabis. So from you having been in the dark, uh-huh. going through medical, and then coming out. What do you think about that and, and how fast everything's gone? What do you think is going to be that evolution to where we might land? What I would like to see is everyone to be growing pesticide-free weed. Uh, what I would like to see is everyone growing outside and stop using so many of our resources. The indoor industry uses 4% of the energy that's created in the hydroelectric dams of the Snake River. 4%! Just growing weed inside when we can very easily grow weed outside using high standards and being transparent about what we're using. But unfortunately, this is always my complaint about that is indoor grows are the big ones whose names we all know are owned by white, fat, rich corporate dudes who have lobbyists and lawyers, lawyers, lawyers and lies, lies, lies. 
and they have ways to wiggle in and out of pesticide testing and oh well Washington State tests let's see Washington State 79 pesticides are illegal to use on food right and when it comes to the testing of pesticides they're now testing for 60 of the 79 so the people who know they're oh we use this one but they're not testing for it so we'll volunteer our product for this sort of testing like I would really like to see some honesty in our industry whether you're going inside or outside like inside I'd, I'd like to see more transparency about what you're putting on your food because this is something people are consuming but everybody's worried about their proprietary <clears throat> grow process or their proprietary anything how are they going to feel comfortable especially coming out of the dark to then open themselves up if you're doing everything right uh, you shouldn't be afraid um, I mean, if you're if you're using organic inputs, if you're using clean green processes, and you shouldn't have any fear. But it's the people who are using bad stuff on their weed to sell weed. Like there's no heart in that. It's just a money making machine um, for those people. And I'd like to see a lot more people out there have a lot more heart when it comes to growing sustainability uh, and providing a product that's clean and healthful. Yep, you're right. Yeah, you know, more and more, and that's where we're at in Washington, is more and more people are interested in what's on the weed, in being educated about cannabis, and learning what's going on in the industry, what they're putting in their bodies. I mean, you know, I remember when I first started working in the industry three and a half years ago, the first person who asked for vegan edibles, I remember my staff being like, my staff of three, mind you, at the time, like, vegan edibles, and then, of course, like, people who smoke pot, plenty are vegan and organic and gluten-free, and we are going to be catering to these people as we should be, to all of these diets as a culture, like, we are getting towards clean eating, hopefully, you know, so you're either very clean or you don't give a damn what you put in your body at I this mean, point, medical you know? I mean, medical was super full of fruit loops that were just laced. You know, that was really the, right. it was all just the same stuff you made at home yeah. when yeah. you made your edibles at yeah. home. Yeah. But probably half of the population uses cannabis of some sort, whether mm -hmm. it's CBD, topical, or smoking weed. 50% use a cannabis product or know someone who uses a cannabis product, so people want to know what's going on. And so we're finally there in Washington, and now the farms and the retail stores, the blinds are being lifted. They have to start coming forward, or we're gonna see a devastating political backdrop. In well, the what I, industry. and what I like about this too, though, is that it's, Washington's a bubble. It's a bubble when it comes to food, it's a bubble when it comes to attitude, it's a bubble with pets, it's just a bubble. There's a bunch of different market bubbles we've had inside of our area bubble. And we're different than the rest of the country. We're even different than California up here in Oregon and Washington. And I think what's great is us being one of the first groups of people to put it forward and have these conversations because the Midwest who grows all of our food, they don't believe in organic. And I'm in Hawaii and, the, and I'm like, is this organic or not? And they're like, it's organic. We don't label it though because Midwesterners won't buy it. And they're a huge group of people that come and shop for us. And so as it spreads across to the East, again, I'm hoping that this is the information we get to impart and put out there at first level so that there are conversations they are talking about so well, that they don't hard. go, we don't care. I think it's hard for the Washington State industry to, to go from, I mean, there's so much money dumped into indoor grows right now. But then if you get that message to new states that are just getting medical, like Maryland or I think Vermont's on the cusp, Michigan. Michigan I think went, Pennsylvania too, right? Uh, Michigan went uh, recreational. Yeah, they did. I'll believe it when I see it on I Pennsylvania. I think Pennsylvania went medical. <laughs>
So these states that are newly medical and are just getting this industry, they haven't dumped all of that money into indoor grows yet. And there's going to be some indoor grows, you know, but I, I think that now is the time to really go and impact their industries. But it's like, what do you do? Or just go out there and scream at, hey, everybody, you got to grow outdoor. Yeah. Like, you got to watch for pesticides. Right. You know, I think that the education um, of us sharing all this information that we have, like spreading it across the board and people who are working in Washington are moving to the states that are becoming recreational and who are growing in Washington State are moving to states that are becoming medical and recreational and they're buying places mm-hmm. and farms. I think that keeping up with the demand of people wanting organic and giving your butt tenders the knowledge of what's organic and what's not, even though this brand has organic in its name, it's not organic. <laughs> right? Because there's no organic standard yet. So and they're then, using the word organic, but it's not. But this place is. So when it comes to that, also I think that it's really important to have an organic standard when it comes to cannabis, just as with everything else. So the people who are honestly really trying to take care of themselves and be well aren't smoking garbage on accident. I think that organic standard when it comes to the state of Washington, we're getting really close to the, we've been duking it out with the indoor guys in legislation. Like, nope, you don't use the sun. You don't use the sun. Now, this is what I wanted to really touch on very specifically was one of the things that Jeremy said something about that surprised me, honestly, was they don't get a chance to be organic because they're not using the sun, they're using artificial light. And my understanding of organic, having been part of the organic trade industry for a decade, was it was always about the soil. So if the soil didn't get anything else added to it, that could be then considered. But I never really appreciated that the sun aspect and the need for the natural light to participate with that organic concept. There's a conversation that I have when I go into stores selling my organic weed to people like, hey, how would you feel if you found out the organic groceries that you buy at Whole Foods that are really expensive were actually grown in a greenhouse, not in the sun? How would you feel about paying all that money for that? That's not some small farm that did that. That's some big corporation that did that, right? And their influence on that organic standard. But it's not like that. I mean, organic is organic. But when it comes to crossover of like food, organic standard, cannabis, organic standard, I think that we should be taking our standards as what we're learning in Washington and as we set forth and help the other states set things up. And that standard, I mean, we've been legal for how many years? Five years now? Recreational has been legal and we're just getting the organic standard just now. Like, we need to help those other states get that standard up and running so people are smoking healthy weed and are getting cancer. Like, being from Maryland and like being in Seattle, you know, I affected at least a pesticide limit or stricter pesticide testing in Washington State and and organic. And I mean, we're producing so much packaging, it's crazy. The packaging's created more of a retail space, which it, it's created a different industry for us than California and Colorado, but it's still too much waste. You know? Why does every little gram have to be packaged individually? And yeah. So we could have created this new space and this new industry however we wanted it, and it just ended up with more packaging. Yeah. <clears throat> and there's not a lot of sustainable packaging. Our company uses almost everything we use is recyclable except for those Mylar bags. Everything else can be reused or recycled, including our joints. So glass vials, and I think that's really important too because yeah. industries can wasteful. Like every one of those joint vials, the plastic ones are going to end up in a whale's stomach or in a gutter in the Puget Sound. There's so much waste in this industry. There's so much waste in any packaging of anything, but this industry is especially, and I think there should be more standards to that. And that's another thing that's really bothersome. And I will say one small side note about the glass jar situation. When every tour we've gone on, everybody's burping and drying in plastic bins 
but I hear this huge movement that has to be in jars to stay fresh. But it's being cured in plastic, yeah. and then it needs to be put in a jar to stay fresh? That doesn't I, make any sense I to me. I think the freshness sealed people just, okay, don't you want your weed to be dry? Or do you like, why are you not curing your weed? So you can turn your field over faster and make more crappy weed for people? Okay. But why are you saying it has to be in a glass jar at retail, but it can be in a plastic bin people, for four months at your place? I don't know. It just seems to me that seems more annoying. attractive to the consumer for it to be in glass. Sure. And if you want to be honest about that, say that. But don't tell me that it makes a difference in the quality of flour when you've just cured yeah. it all in plastic. Well, that's yeah. that's oh, all I'm saying. That's how they're going to use their packaging to sell their product for it. Well, sure. And that's fine. And I get that. But again, if we're going back to let's have a standard, let's just not put some falsehoods out there. That's exactly. All right. Well, we're going to light up our final joint and maybe have you ladies tell us your favorite personal cannabis story. I'm gonna go first. Okay. At my sister's bridal shower. Um, we're already, I'm already laughing. We're all writing little memories, and I was like, I'm the older sister. I have to embarrass the crap out of her right now. And she's going to church, and she's got all of her church friends, and she's got all of her friends from high school and her bridesmaids. And so she reads the memory, and it's. I remember the first time we smoked weed at the furnace, and it was Northern Lights. And we were like super giggly and it was a lot of fun. And she looks down, she couldn't even finish reading the little card. And my mom later got legitimately embarrassed. She was like, I was just so embarrassed for you. Like, mom, it was funny and you know it and she knows it and you just, it's just chill. It was funny. <laughs> it would be pretty good if the most embarrassing thing is smoking weed, you know? You're like, mom, yeah. chill. <laughs> so many funny, funny weed stories funny weed stories. The first time I got high. This is Tacoma, Washington. There's a park in Tacoma called Wright Park, and it's a huge park. There's like 137 different species of champion trees in this park. I mean, it's amazing. Wow. There's, there's trees with plaques. So there was one tree. Bonafide. Yeah, bonafide. <laughs> there was one tree that was called the talking tree, and I was in high school, and I crossed the street. I think I was, I just got my driver's license. So I walk across the street with my friend Megan, and we go up in the talking tree, and she's like, we're gonna smoke weed. And I'm like, oh, I can't. Like, I'm on a sports team, I'll get so busted, and ruin my grades. And it was so funny, because she's like, no, you're not, just smoke it. No peer pressure. I was climbing the tree, I knew what I was doing, but then I was being a virgin about everything, so. <laughs> So I took a hit and like kind of coughed, but I'd been like smoking cigarettes, so I knew how to take a hit of something. But I like breathed out and was like, smells like my dad, dudes. <laughs> All my friends are like, what? <laughs> Mr. Yeager smokes weed? And I was like, no, he doesn't. And they're like, well, can we go over to your house? And I'm like, I'm not allowed to have friends over when my parents aren't home. Oh, my dad doesn't want us getting into his weed stash. How was I so naive up until the age 16, didn't know what weed smelled like, but it, might, it smelled like my dad. That was what my dad smelled like. That's, that's, yeah. that's a great smelling dad. Yeah. My friend lived in that tree. She ran away from home and lived in that tree in a hammock for a week. Whoa. Wow. She really didn't like her dad. Oh, that's she cool. probably didn't smell like weed. <laughs> <laughs> that's what friends are for. Yeah, we're it's still friends to this day. They help you. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, ladies, for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, Kate. You. Thank you, Delta. It's been super fun. Thank you, uh, Seattle Private Reserve, for sponsoring for it. Thank you very you know, much. Are you the party? Area yeah. We're CBD Madcast. Right on, yes. And thank you, 253 Glass Blowing, for having us in their back room. This is a <laughs> badass joint. Brick. They chopped out the archway. Really, really cool for this back room.
For more information and content, follow CBD Madcast on SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Visit us at canvasbeyonddope.com.